Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast. Guys, there are a lot of fun things going on over at the Nerdist channel, which launches April 2nd. Uh, big announcements coming for our lineup, so go there. Please click subscribe, youtube.com slash Nerdist. Uh, I promise it will be worth your time uh, when you see a lot of the things that we're doing. I'm excited about it, and I can't... I'm smiling now as I'm saying it. I can't tell you yet, but soon, any second, any day now, if you go to that uh, to our YouTube page... You will see we're going to put up a video that will officially announce uh, our, our initial lineup. And uh, and hopefully you squee yourself with joy. And now this episode of the Nerdist Podcast. So here's another guy that because of the geographical challenge I'd wanted to have on for a long time and never been able to have him on. Baratunde, who is essentially the digital manager for The Onion, uh, is an incredibly smart guy. He's way smarter than I am. Uh, but that always is uh, fun because I feel like I learn a lot. That's what. That's the gift of smart people is you can learn from them. So uh, Baratunde, a brilliantly funny guy, um, super, super, super smart, and it was a true honor to have him on. So here we go, the Nerdist Podcast with Baratunde. Now entering Nerdist.com. All right. Sorry. That's all right. You, I was just, I was just explaining to Baratunde that it, it's very difficult sometimes with our work schedules. He because was saying that because it's the last day of Black History Month, you yeah, just yeah. felt no, like we needed to squeeze you in. You could phone it in <laughs> once every four years. You get twenty nine days. <laughs> it's the bonus. Pretty cool, right? I am excited. You're welcome. So excited. It's when you August, which has no holidays. It's but no, when, we're like, fuck well, you're they saying don't it's, be it's Wednesday sun. of a leap year, so it's like leap hump leap. Was that what you were calling leap it? Hump. Yes. Leap, leap, leap I'm hump. I'm bummed out. I drank Lump. my Red Bull. I'm like, I was ready to take another sip, and then it's gone. That's uh, not Red Bull. It's they water. make they make more Red Bull. If oh. there was Red Bull in there, I'd be super excited. There's not. <laughs> not super excited. Sorry, fuck sorry, you place. don't get wings or whatever. Oh, is that what they're thinking? It'll give you wings. It'll give yeah. you wings. Yeah, Red Bull gives you. Also, sounds like a tampon statement. It does give you wings as well. well yeah, those. To... It prevents leakage. <laughs> <laughs> Red Bull creates leakage. I think. I think that creates a little well, bit of leakage. Yeah, out of my penis. I don't have. I don't want wings. I. I Red Bull for me would create horrible anxiety attacks because it makes my heart beat faster. That's the yeah. Goal. And that's not what I want. As long as it's pumping. 
Very, I'm so glad to finally have you on. It's difficult <laughs> because you are New York based. Yeah. And so But they make planes now. For what? What do you mean? I I can get on them and oh. be here. Have a good night, future boy. <laughs> That's where I live. No, so yeah, I'm I'm rarely out here. I'm starting to come out here more now. That's but good. I have you know, uh, generally uh, avoided. You probably get a better copy of your book. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have the most beaten up copy of How to Be Black. <laughs> I've been studying very hard, <laughs> preaching to the unconverted. It takes a lot out of me to you do know, that. I know a guy who could probably get you a digital copy of it. <laughs> he wrote it. He's next to me. Have you actually? You? I don't know if you've seen. What? Oh my God! Hardcover. Yeah. Do you have like a galley copy? What are you running around with? Oh. Whoa. Oh. Oh, shit. Wait, ready? It's that episode of Star Trek. This guy is like, oh, why am I not accepted? But this guy. <laughs> so there are two books. Like one, one, is, one is white on black, and the other book is black on white. Bam. So for, for, whatever, for whatever you want. You I, can, I'm, uh... I'm pulling up a picture of a... Now, if I wear a sweatshirt that says how to be black, mm. do people take that as me being racist, or do they take that as like, oh, that's funny, or do they know that it's your book? Well, if I see you, I'm going to know it's because you're racist. <laughs> And I'm gonna shout that like, wait, across look, the room. So I was I was in New York I was in New York a couple weeks ago and at a vintage store I saw this James Brown shirt that said I'm black and I'm proud. I'm black and I'm proud yeah. and it has a cartoon picture of a young James Brown. Right. And I really wanted to buy it, but I was like, but wait a minute. This is <laughs> this is one of those polarizing pieces of ironic clothing. Yeah. The fact that you had to think about it makes you realize you made the right decision. It was shockingly expensive it. too. Shocking, like a hundred dollars. What? It was one of those snazzy vintage stores on like uh, West Broadway. Uh, in, snazzy in, vintage. Yes, that that's already though, a problem. It was like sixty-two grand. So the what was the Prometheus? The casket he went out in. Michael oh. Jackson got buried in the same casket. Oh wow, that's a little bit of my funeral home knowledge. Sixty-two. Sixty-two thousand dollars is not yeah, a lot for a, a Prometheus. Yeah, but that's not a lot for like a. Why do you know that? He worked at a funeral home. home. Oh, okay, that's good reason to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's not like, <laughs> it's like you just I'm not like really into it. I'm like, you know, <laughs> just study this the guy's laying market. in this for a while. He's, a, ca look it up. He's a casket nerd. He just knows all <laughs> the casket stats. all kinds. Oh, oh my God, God. is kind. that a Batesville? Yeah. And then I touch it. I don't. Uh, someone got that joke. I don't, uh, yeah, so I can't really wear that shirt, right? I think you, you definitely can wear the shirt. Really? But I think you have to... One, you can always fall back on. It's this great book I read right. immediately. Okay. And uh, because what happens is people are also wearing the book. Like when they're in public, there's so many shots of people on the subway holding this book that other people have taken. Yes. Like, yo, what is this woman reading? Whether they're black or white. So there's, there's <laughs> one of the, the most popular image is of a black woman in Chicago standing on the subway platform. Someone posted it to Reddit. It got like 1,100 upvotes and 300 comments. And people are like, oh, I guess she needs refresher lessons, huh? <laughs> oh, that was that was because of your book. I yeah, saw that. Yeah, that, that was my book. I saw that she picture on Reddit. The that was on the front the page. Got that 1,100 was the front. Oh, my upvotes God. And five digs. Bam. That was amazing. <laughs> what is that? Internet Dig? joke. <laughs> digs. That is am I totally saw that on yeah. Reddit. Oh, yeah. my God. That's fantastic. That could have been you. It could have wore the hoodie. It could have been me Probably. wearing the hoodie. We we have very similar paths, though. Uh, you are smarter than I am, but <laughs> we have very similar paths. Uh, we were both philosophy majors, but someone had to go to Harvard. I didn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> well, in fairness, they do have a quota. <laughs> someone had to. Someone I had stepped to. up. That is, and and also, um, you uh, you are very tech savvy. Yeah, I'm an internet dude. Internet dude. So I laughed at my dig joke. Yeah, because I totally got it. Dig with two G's. Dig with <laughs> double G. And you also you handle digital content at the Onion. Yes, sir. As well. 
But you do a lot more um, useful uh, social work than I do. For example, I live hate to eat the Twilight movies. That is very useful social work. I go to the premiere. I sit in the back row. I take my laptop and my Wi-Fi, and I spew hatred on yeah. Twitter about what's happening on the screen, which is to say... I describe what's happening on the screen. Why couldn't they do better CG? I mean, it's the worst. They have so much money. They have money. They have so much money. I Little mean, girls' money. You look Just at poured into this. You look at District Nine. That movie did not have a lot of money. Yeah. Looks fucking amazing. It does look amazing. Twilight, no excuse whatsoever. Oh, I didn't have the time, you guys. Prawns. <laughs> All the prawns. All you need the prawns. The prawns. I think I saw the movie like three times. But it yeah. was so. It was that that movie. When movies like that come along, then you then you have no uh, empathy whatsoever for a high budget movie that has crappy no, effects. No, it's like, it's, and the first one especially. The first one was. I mean, they're all really corny, <laughs> and you think like this is someone's design sensibility. They chose and everyone to agreed make it look corny, and everybody's like, "Yeah, this is cool. This is exactly what I signed up for. It's worth twenty bucks. Definitely, definitely what I needed right now." What? Uh, so you do you you must love. Whereas I tend to get angry at things in pop culture, like why are they doing that? Yeah. You uh, are able to spin that into comedy, which is ultimately what I should be doing. But instead, I'm just too full of rage. No, no. I, I mean, and the thing is, I don't want it to come across like I'm just so much better than you. Uh, I'm a little bit. You're a little, a little bit better. A little bit better. You're a little bit better. But no, I think Twilight's an example where my rage was countered by like this outlet because of the Twitter thing. But not. I mean, sometimes I just get mad. Yeah. Like, I just get like Real Housewives <laughs> just makes me mad. That that mm -hmm. I've never actually seen a full episode no, of any either. kind of Real Housewives. I'm so mad because I can't even finish it. But the concept of it is 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 enraging. I, uh, I came celebrities. Up, I came up with an idea today for a uh, for a docu soap. <laughs> what? Uh, first of all, I learned today that there's a word called docu, docu soap, <laughs> a soap opera that is reality based. Someone asked me for my idea for a docu soap, and, <laughs> and I was like, "What does that mean?" And then she described Real Housewives and all these other things, and uh, and I she just means the recipe for Irish Spring. I, yep. I, I thought uh, what Ice Road Truckers, you know that show? Yes. Let's, let's do it with fire. Oh, let's have truckers driving through roads aflame. Fire road truckers. Fire road truckers. Epic shit. Now, yeah, you know, it. we're all just having fun here, but I would love to like the guy, the ones who fly the planes and dump on the, oh, you yeah, know, the like fire the brigade guys, because yeah. that is an incredibly dangerous job. Yeah, it is. Also, and when it you, needs a camera crew attached to it. It does. But when you watch it on the news, <laughs> <laughs> all they need is people getting in their way with yeah, cameras. Exactly. They just need like a boom mic and like a key grip and I'm a producer. <laughs> oh, that part where you said that uh, this is probably going to get a lot of homes. Uh, could you say that again? <laughs> but just a little more. When is Burn that house again. That's we didn't I, get the shot. I always feel bad because you see, like you see the footage of that, and these people are risking their lives and they're trying to save other lives. But then when you see them uh, drop the powder yeah. on the fire, and you're like, and it didn't do anything. <laughs> you're like, God damn it! It's a little underwhelming. They didn't do. They didn't do anything. Yeah, and they they just risked a bunch of lives. But I, but More. I think that is an amazing job that I have the most respect for. Especially considering what you know, like what we all do, like oh, we're the comedy. No, you know, no, like, we we provide a service. Uh, <laughs> You're making us sound like whores. <laughs> we provide a we provide an outlet. A service to the people. Uh, people outlet. have needs. We certainly haven't. We haven't made any fires worse. No, <laughs> we've made, not. They might have. We've not added fires. That's true. You know. That's We've true. not added any fires. We didn't, uh, I'm not even going to do it. I was going to make a pun thing. I'm going to walk but away. That you're going to walk gonna away walk from away. it. What What do you think is the is what? I, I there's so many things I want to talk to you about Let's that, do that it. cover tech and comedy yeah. and 
and and race relations and race and comedy. Uh-huh. Um, but let's racity, racity. And I'm never going to say that again. I'm, I apologize <laughs> to all your listeners. That was that was terrible. Some really good racity. That, what is that? Be a race good, based uh, docu soap. That would, <laughs> we're just mashing up as many. <laughs> we're crapshing. We're crap, crappy, crappily mashing up yes. words. Crashing um, up. But so, first of all, how long have you been working at the Onion? I've been there for. Almost five years, four and a half years. Oh wow! November two thousand seven. It's time to move on. Time to move on. Well, you know, in a collegiate timeline, yeah. I guess I'm like a super duper senior at you, this point. And what what is what is director of digital? What what essentially what does your day look like? I at have the Onion? kept my job by not describing that to anyone. That's a good idea. Uh, That's a really good very, idea. Very important. Director of digital can mean a lot and of things. No one else can do it. <laughs> That's that's what you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> they got a good gig going here, Hardwick. They bring in someone else, and they're like, "Well, uh, you know, what what is the director of digital do? We don't know. <laughs> well, then we can't replace him." I actually I did an interview about the book, and they asked, well, "What's my job title?" And I said, oh, "It's director of digital," and they said, "Digital what?" And I was like, "All of it, like just digital." And they refused to print the title. They're like, oh, "Can we call you something else?" I'm like, you could, but that would be journalistically inaccurate because that's actually my title. I, it spells D-O-D. I made it up. I like it. The job has meant, like when I was hired at The Onion, I was politics editor. That yep. was what I went in for. Mm-hmm. And in the process of interviewing, they're like, oh, you know a whole bunch about the internet. And they didn't have one person focused on how The Onion tells its stories through these digital outlets. Sure. There were, you know, had the writers, there had tech people who could publish things, had designers, but they didn't have the strategy. Right. And so they created this position Hoping it would make sense, and uh, I think it has. Good job, selfishly yes. speaking. But so, so I would describe broadly my job is to help this organization tell its stories, engage with its audiences through every digital platform that's out there: mm-hmm. e-readers, uh, tablets, phones, the web, you know, laptops and computers, and uh, and to work partnerships, you yeah. know, with external companies, so YouTube type partnerships or. Vimeo or any kind of a lot of tech companies. Yeah, I'm, because I'm a big foot in the tech. Onion community. has one of the and uh, has one of the YouTube initiative channels. Yeah, yeah, we got we yeah. got one of those uh, those grants. Yeah, those art art grants from YouTube. <laughs> we got one too. Yeah, we should we should make stuff together. We should do like videos. I would love to <laughs> talk to our audiences. Let's, Let's engage. Videos. Hi, I'm Chris's Bridge. Anyway, subscribe to my channel. Watch our docu soap. <laughs> watch our watch our digital docu soap. Fire Road Shuckers coming Fire. to YouTube. <laughs> that is not a bad idea. So, yeah, so it, and it's also meant so it's like planting. Fl- I, I describe it loftily as like I plant a flag in the future and then we charge toward it. But it means I tweet. Uh, it means I put us, you know, I put us on Facebook. I put us on Twitter, and then the most. If I'm doing my job right, I'm making parts of it obsolete continuously. Sure. Which is, you know, trying to internally sell. Like we, you know, taking the internet and not seeing it just as a distribution platform. Right. But seeing it as a creative opportunity. So when The Onion live tweets the Oscars and the Super Bowl, that's not just taking jokes we've written before and pasting them and pressing publish. Sure. It's a whole different way of writing and collaborating. and Keeping it fresh, I think they call it. Yeah, so I think for the writers, like at its best... It's not an extra job. It's not a burden. It's like, oh, right. this is a new way to write this character that is the onion that's been around since the 1700s. That so. is that is really that's an interesting way to look at it, just in terms of the onion itself being yeah. a character, because it really is like a breathing entity. Yeah, no, it's this condescending, all-knowing media <laughs> evil eye uh, that has flames coming off of it. And, uh, but also, you're sort of you're sort of a face of it, which the onion previously did not have. It was just 
it was by design a yeah. you know like a fake soulless you know uh, satirical. And so am I. I am very soulless, <laughs> and I am not authentic at all. I notice that when I look in his eyes. <laughs> you see the, the the void. It's like a shark into my non-existent, very very dark soul. I mean, I really can just flip through like our dumb century, and every and I read the same headlines over and over yeah. again, and they're funny to me every every single time. I mean, the Onion is one of it's it's one of those things that it's it's sort of like. To me, it's sort of like South Park. Like, there's a couple hmm. that could have easily flamed out over the years, yeah. but somehow just managed to still hit home runs after all of these years. Yeah, no, it's pretty impressive. I mean, the process there has been uh, around for a while. The people are actually really funny and yeah. really smart, and that helps a lot. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and it's been, in some ways, the Onion is really conservative when it comes to digital. Like, we've embraced some of the platforms. We were, went online really early in 96 but we don't crowdsource our jokes. Right. You know, there, there's been a non-embrace of some elements of participation because the onion just couldn't do it. You know, the voice is so strong. It's condescending. Like, we don't follow anyone on Twitter because everybody's an idiot. And <laughs> that's part of the character. So right. there's, a, there's a limitation to that as well. But when you carry through the joke that far, but there's also a consistency to it. So in the long run, who knows what'll happen? Well, you must but get I, tons. I, I do not envy <laughs> your inbox of people like, this should be an onion headline. Yeah. Or you're on the road. They're like, I got the great, greatest onion headline. No, or they're like, this should be a black people headline because I'm black. You know, right. they want me to put in the black newspaper. Uh, and that's also frustrating. Because you, yeah, because you, you run, <laughs> you run a, a black political blog. No, I do. I do. It's called Jack and Joe Politics. Yes. And I, I'm a co-founder of that blog. We have grown far beyond me uh, since then. And so we have a much wider cast of writers and guest bloggers. So that's on the more earnest side of my brain. Uh, the Jack and Jill politics thing. The onion taps the absurdist side of my brain. Is it irritating to make it about race sometimes? I mean, like, I, I'm curious what the delineation be is between you obviously, um, you know, you obviously have... Uh, um, uh, you, and you know, can say it. I'm black. You are black, but yeah. but I mean, it's it's sort of the oh, difference between it's sort of the difference between <laughs> you know your duty to sort of preserving your culture, but yeah. at the same time not making it be about like because you know white, black, whatever, you're funny. Like, yeah, you're, like yeah. you get, you're all, it's also race, race has everything to do with it and nothing to do with it at the same time. Does that make sense? No, it absolutely, it, it does. And I, I mean, one of the, one of the burdens and like poisons of racism is that it makes you question everything. There's this extra overhead process. You're like, why is Chris looking at me like that? Right. Is it because I'm black? <laughs> why is this microphone this color? Is it Everybody get this color microphone? Is it because I'm black? Why didn't she call me back? Right. Is it, you know, and so you have this lurking like evil voice over your shoulder, sure. poisoning your thoughts about people's motives and about the reaction. And maybe you're just not good, or maybe she's just not that into you. I and mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons the world reacts to you the way it does. But there's a reality that part of the reason is because of your ethnicity or where you're from. I am, I'm really happy, you know, as a person. And I, I've kind of gone through a bunch of fires uh, as a trucker mm -hmm. on my sure. docu-soap show, yep. but also as a metaphor for my own life. And uh, so race is important. It's not the only, it's definitely not the only thing. Sure. And, you know, I hosted a show on the Science Channel that had nothing to do with being yeah, the, black. Yeah, yeah, the pop size show. Yeah, mm -hmm. I happened to be a black guy in the future, which I found uh, rewarding. Yeah. Because at least there's one of us who's going to be there. And I could be like a symbol of that. You, don't <laughs> you really... and Uhura. <laughs> and then eventually Cisco. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, uh, and who was, uh, I can't remember her from BSG. 
Which oh, one? I didn't watch. Trisha Helfer. Uh, I only remember character I've names. Never I never watched I it. I just <laughs> You've never watched? No, I don't. How is he on my, this Part show? of my nerd brain. Is oh, like, he'll tell you anything can't. about the the the, the next generation, the NCC seventeen oh one D. I can go A, B, C, or D. Whoa. Or E, even. And he can, can talk, talk about, about casket pricing. He can yeah. talk about well, casket, casket pricing. <laughs> I can talk about the uh, NCC 1701J, which was only seen in one Okay, you, you've proven yourself. I yeah. apologize for calling you nerd card. <laughs> <laughs> I am out of my nerd depth with you, sir. Where did You're you, did yeah. you... Are you from D.C.? Yeah, I grew up in D.C. I grew up in the 80s under our crackhead mayor, Marion Bear. <laughs> that was a formative experience for all of us. <laughs> I survived that fire. D.C. is, a, is such an... It, it's such a bizarre. I don't think people really understand that, that like the no taxation without representation thing is oh, is is yeah. really. I get pissed about it, and I have nothing to do with it at yeah. all. I'm like because I I'm I'm very sensitive to you know like democracy. Hey, well, yes, and also, <laughs> but you're one of those democracy but, nerds. But fairness, yeah. but fairness, yeah. and you know, and and obviously there are certain systems that are still in place that maybe weren't applicable when. You know when certain things were founded, mm-hmm. but it's like let's let's figure this shit out yeah. now because the world is a much different landscape than it was before. Yeah, no, DC statehood is a thing that's probably never going to happen. Uh, I remember, you know, I was in DC for the inauguration uh, for Obama's inauguration, and when inaugurations are great moments because everybody likes to attach their thing to it. Sure. So I see all these Obama signs everywhere, black people just expecting tickets to the inauguration because they're black. They're like, yeah, I voted for the black guy. Where's my ticket? It's like, Matt Damon didn't get a ticket. You should, you know, chill out. These are in hot demand. But I would also see all these, they'd be like an Obama sign, like as a part of DC statehood now. And it's like, oh, that's, that's kind of sad because there's, the one has nothing to do with the other. And it's probably not going to happen. When you have several hundred thousand people who don't have real representation, that is a, uh, mildly hypocritical in a nation that calls itself democratic it is weird well i feel like it's also nowhere in america can you go uh to see a better illustration of the haves and the have-nots than washington dc yeah oh yeah really quite fascinating well if if for people who've never been to dc it really because we were just there we just we just performed there a couple months ago how'd it go it was great right it was a it was amazing we had a we performed at the 930 club super fun Um, but uh, that's, I was really asking, how was it for you? Good, it's good. Yeah. It's a good time. For would, people you, would you do it again? I would. Oh, I would. Nice. Oh, I would. Lo- I love to go back. I really enjoy DC yeah. because it really feels like it just looks like a Roman city. Yeah, it just like oh, you see, you see, you're like, oh my gosh, if you were. If you were walking down the, because everything looks newer, obviously, than the ruins in in Italy. Hopefully, but if you were just, if you're just, if you were walking through ancient Rome and like you know, uh, two hundred BC, it it could, without the, if you took away the cars, like some of the structures, like oh, this is maybe what it kind of looked yeah, they like. Had homeless people. DC mm-hmm. has homeless people. It's exactly <laughs> the same. It's funny growing up there. I don't see it. You know, I see it, it's just home. Yeah. And the museums are just, that's a normal thing. Like, they, they were, I don't know if they're still free, but. Yeah, they I, are. The yeah, is still free, yeah. That's normal. And then when I traveled with my mom as a kid, we went to Chicago. They have this great museum of science and industry. And they have yes. like a mock coal mine. And it costs money. I'm like, how dare you charge for access to history? This should be free. But D.C. is an exception right, uh, to is. that rule. And so even the architecture didn't stand out until I left for a while and came back. And now see what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I really, I, 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 I love going to, to D.C. And I, I feel like it's one of those places where I feel like he, kind of wandering around like Adams Morgan mm-hmm. or any of those places. Like, this is a really cool. When it's, it's, I mean, I grew up next to Adams Morgan. I grew up in a neighborhood called Columbia Heights. Okay. And like a lot of cities, it's experienced uh, redevelopment. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> that was that. <laughs> That's a nice term. That was really I'm a better I'm a, than gentrification. gentrification. Uh, it's experienced the reverse of white flight, sure. Uh, white in influx uh, and the displacement. So my old neighborhood is so different from what I remember. You know, it was it, my neighborhood was one of those like wire esque neighborhoods. Sure. You know, in the eighties and in that particular period, it was all black and Latino. Who was your Omar? There was a. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Okay. That's understandable. He brought shame. <laughs> We didn't have a guy just walking around openly with a shotgun. Okay, it was, good. It was okay. not wire esque in that All right. sense. All right, just checking. Just checking. <laughs> no, I'm glad you went right to the heart of yeah, it. Yeah, you need to know. We had a brother Muzo, though. Yeah? Nice. <laughs> Actually, we had a police officer, Officer Bonnie, who was just a badass. Officer Bonnie was white. Mm-hmm. Uh, officer Bonnie was, I believe, transsexual. Officer Bonnie uh, carried two silver or chrome guns. Oh. Yes. Just. Super badass. And I still have this image in my head of Officer Bonnie with both guns leveled at somebody on my neighbor's porch. It was a Saturday morning. This was my cartoons. You look out the front window, and there's Officer Bonnie telling people to freeze and drop it. It's like, holy shit. This is wow. pretty frightening, but amazing. Have I'll, you tried to look her up on Facebook? Maybe Officer Bonnie's still I out there. N- you know what? I should. You should see I'm sure she's some, still there. Someone knows what happened to Officer Bonnie. Someone. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully she's still out there. No, because she has a huge enough presence that somebody else would have kept in touch and tracked her. I moved out and then haven't lived there since, but there's people who do these things. Where'd the love go for Officer Bonnie? I mean, it's like... No, the love is still there. The love is still there. We're going to rekindle <laughs> that. This is getting weird now. No, cut, cut to wedding <laughs> bells. Exactly. I found I Officer married Bonnie. Officer Bonnie. Hey, but like the, Officer Bonnie on Facebook. But the point is this neighborhood is, is really, you know, there's a, there's a, a target... Yep. Now, there's a dance studio. There are all these wine bars and much fancier restaurants. There's an old, uh, a young white couple living in half of the house that I grew up in because they sliced it up so much and made condo units oh, out of it. Oh, wow. And, but there's still, even as I drove down this street a few months ago, and there's still a building that burned out when I lived there. And I last, I moved out in 1990 from it's that still burned out. It's still burned out. But yet half a block up, my house on the inside is unrecognizable. Wow. And so that's what's, you know, the, the transition that's hit D.C. as I go back and remember with my child eyes how stark this new world feels. It's like it's, it's block by block. It's house by house. So there's yeah. gentrification, but there's not. Yeah. And there's progress and development, but there's not. There's economic investment, but there's not. And I don't know if every city that's gone through this gentrification wave has experienced it in such a micro level. Usually the whole neighborhood kind of shoves people around. Right. And that burned out building, someone would have done something with it then by now. It's got to be someone who owns, it's just got to be someone who, like there's a building in New York, Mm -hmm. um, like in the, I think it's in the West Village. And it, it, it looks like an old hospital. Okay. And I was so fascinated by this building that I looked that up the address. It. I wish I could have. <laughs> I looked it up, and it turns out it's We're a... sitting in that building right now. No. Whoa, you've done good things with it, Chris. <laughs> it turns out that um, that building has gone unoccupied for like three decades. No one's exactly... Wait, stop, sh- stop. There's a building in Manhattan. Yeah. That has been unoccupied. Not only that, the building dates back to the 1800s. Oh, it's haunted. And it, yeah, because <laughs> they said there was a hospital at one time that they said that Poe was actually treated at. I don't know if any of this is okay. true, but this okay. is just something I read online. And uh, the band, not Edgar Allan. It's, it's, exactly. it's Shutter Island. It's Shutter Island. It's Shutter Island. Yeah, it's, it's Shutter Island. <laughs> You're really the crazy one. <laughs> you thought everyone, but it's you who's the great. Yeah. It's a twist on the sixth sense. Yeah. But. Uh, but, I see uh, sane people. Exactly. 
So it's just sitting there and no and and from what I read, like the the sort of trust or whatever that mm-hmm. owns it, like you can't track them down. It's just basically a ghost building. That seems I mean, for you know, New York is a hyper monetized plot of land. Yeah. And I just if it's really hard to, there must be something extra creepy about this building. Yeah, and super mysterious or Tell supernatural. Bloomberg. He'll get it, Bob. I mean, you don't you don't have in the West Village. Yeah, I think it's on Christopher Street. A maybe? building <laughs> that's not being used to make money for someone. And it's a gorgeous, creepy old building. Oh, Fun fact: wow. Chrysler Building, same thing. It's, no one's in there. <laughs> have it's you ever seen anyone go in there? The I've never seen anyone like, go in there. Don't get, who owns this? No one's in it. <laughs> they can't trace the ownership <laughs> through like faint companies and asset-backed security shell corps. I have a I have a tremendous <laughs> amount of respect for people who really are politically active and understand politics yeah. because, for me, someone who likes. Uh, hard and fast and definite answers. Politics is a very difficult thing mm, to navigate. Squishy. It's very squishy yeah. because there's so there's an unlimited amount of data. I mean, there are obviously things that are you know I feel like are pretty easy By to go. Way, well, that's right, that's wrong. But a lot. When of are it. we going to start the show? Oh, um, oh, oh, I don't know. Should we start? <laughs> Should we start now? No. Okay. Give it some time. I'll tell you what. We'll just we'll just. Uh, we'll just do the foreplay part of the show first, and then <laughs> okay, then good. we'll actually record. Just let me the know show. when I should like start, you know, yeah, yeah. performing. You brought all those jokes, like, like yeah, no, black I got people a are like, and then white people are like, no, I tested it. I had I had let people vote on it. It was, <laughs> okay. great. It was great. So the pol- I didn't mean to cut you. <laughs> no, 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 did, no. That's all. That's uh, politics that's fine. Is squishy. I mean, yeah, and, yeah. Politics is squishy. So what what is your what is your uh, hook into it that 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 draws you in and makes you feel like you understand it? What are you connecting to with mm. politics? Damn, that's good. It's just something that I'm yeah. that I that I'm that I would love to to try to understand because every time I start to get near it, I just go, God damn it. I I don't know. I just don't fucking know because I know that especially with the way that news is delivered, yeah. I'm not getting all of the facts. And now I have to contend with the political bias of whoever is delivering this information. And I don't even know if I'm getting the full story. Like yeah. it fucking makes How, my ears bleed. You feel like you can't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I feel like I can't trust what I see. Right. And you can't. You can't trust me. I can't. <laughs> so what I'm about to say, discount heavily. Okay. So I, um, that, that, is a, that is a really amazing question and set of thoughts, and I'm still thinking through it because I haven't, it's been an assumption in my life. I grew up, and my mom was a super political person. Mm-hmm. And she was political, not in the electoral politics sense. She wasn't like, vote Democratic or vote this way. It was more of the politics of, power and society and how we all live together, like sure. how we choose civil discourse over machetes and warfare and mm-hmm. guns. And that's what politics is, right? It's it's warfare, but more peaceful. Right. <laughs> Ideally, and it's how we choose to accommodate one another without resorting to violence most sure. of the time. So I kind of came up with her notion of it, which was really a counter politics to the U.S. system. She was out in the streets. She was a rabble rouser. She was in the 60s and gave me this Nigerian name. Like, my name is a political act because that was a group of people, a part of the Black Power Movement, who named all their kids with these African names. Right. Because, like, we want a connection to Africa. Right. Right. And so politics is a little more broad to me than the, the campaign of for president or than who's going to be in office for mayor or things like that. And I think the other thing that hooks me into it, I just, I don't know, I'm really, I care like a lot. Huh? I get really <laughs> like, what's that mean? <laughs> it's, a, it's like empathy. You know, you know where your heart is? Yeah. 
So like, just fill that with like feeling. Well, I don't understand. Your heart. No, right? it's supposed to be empty and and <laughs> right. Do you have that cold feeling in the middle of your chest? I, here, here's where here's here's what it comes down to because I'm remembering what. What was my early politics? I'm trying to find my way before Obama, before I cared about live tweeting debates, before I voted. And it was in high school. And it was in high school. And I went to this school called Sidwell Friends. Mm -hmm. And I was a super activist kid. I was one of those kids that I thought I knew everything. And I knew some things. I definitely didn't know that. I was a very self-righteous kid. And I was like, this is unjust. And this is wrong. And therefore, we must change it. Right? I get really irritated at injustice. Yeah. And and fairness, right? To your point, right? You you care. I do. DC bothers you. You're not a resident of DC, but the unfairness of it it triggers something in your heart area because you have one. It, it goes you back. It goes back to it goes back to being a nerdy kid who was bullied. Yeah. And so I I I can't like bullying. And to me, so many things connect to bullying. Yeah. It's like. Well, that's not fucking fair. That guy can't speak up, and you yeah, fuck, you're taking fuck advantage you. of somebody. You're abusing your power in some way. You're cheating the rules. Like all those variations from the path mm -hmm. of goodness, yeah. or truth, or justice, and irritate the shit out of me. Right? <laughs> they actually make me upset. Like the the, and, I, the fact that we actually have to debate whether or not it's okay for gay people to get married in yeah. this country is uh, it's like. When you're talking about someone's rights, how could you ever? Yeah. How could you ever? First of all, make that a vote. Yeah. You're let. Why to, would you put that up for public debate? Someone's rights. <laughs> yeah. There should just be someone's. There is right. Someone's rights. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like as 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 contemporary citizens yeah. of this world, they are fucking rights. Yeah. And see now you're mad. Now I am mad. I am see? mad. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're political. Sir. I guess I am. You're political. I am. You found it. <laughs> You melted the cube. Well, the I mean, you know, in the recent debates we've been having, and it's been really odd to watch this 1950s style contraception debate. Oh my in, god! On the Republican Party of late, or women and and the access to abortion, or the Virginia law they proposed to force women to have an invasive sonogram, uh, which like you have to before you can have an abortion, the doctor's gonna have to shove this thing up your area and take pictures. Not medically necessary at all. Just the legislature decided. We want to make people do this. And right. so they, they ultimately, the governor didn't pass it, but it, it got way too close for comfort. Right. That is an invasion, right? And that is an injustice. And so that where you feel things are off or wrong, as a kid, for me, that's where it started. I got mad a lot. I was a very serious kid. I wasn't funny as a kid at all. Really? I was not the class clown. I was the class, uh, I like buzzkill. I wouldn't say I was a buzzkill. I was the class activist, though. Okay. I was the class, and I was and I was going through my own little militant black phase too. So I wore red, black, and green all the time, and I had a big afro, and I wore boots and tims and camouflage, and I was like, brothers and sisters, this is an injustice. This is wrong. We must fight the power. Now I want to talk to you about that for a second because yeah. I went to um, I went to all boys Catholic school, uh, actually a couple because yeah. my parents. This is an unnecessary part of the story. No, please, now what I when you get older, uh, but. Um, you know, but the first three years of high school were in Denver, and then I graduated high school out here in, in, in Los Angeles. Okay. Uh, and there were maybe just four or five black students, uh, and one of them was a friend of mine. Yeah. One of my best friends in school. And he, Just one of them? Just yes. one of Yeah. <laughs> shit. I meant all of them. <laughs> all of them? Is that okay? Uh, and so this guy, Tony, was a, was one of my best friends in school, yeah. and, and he was very... I mean, without without labeling him too much, he was very culturally Caucasian. Okay. Very culturally Caucasian. Okay. So we ended up both going to UCLA, and 
he uh, joined Phi Beta Sigma, mm-hmm. which is a you know militant African American fraternity, and way, way, way went in the other direction. Yeah. Like shaved his head. It was like uh, well, school days. Like the Spike Lee movie yeah, had come yeah. out. And so he shaved his head and they did like the stepping in the schoolyard and he kind of stopped talking to his white friends and sort of, and it was a complete change. Yeah. And I resented him about it a little bit because I'm like, who the fuck are you? Come on. Yeah. But in the same time, I realized he is, this is an experience that I cannot possibly understand mm-hmm. of being basically in a place where I am not the majority and I don't really, I mean, my roots are like Scottish and, you know, my mother's family is Italian, but right. basically is white. Italian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like I'm going to go, hey, I'm going to find my roots uh, and make the pasta al dente and fuck you. You know, like, it's just not the same <laughs> I love thing. That that's your own racist idea about your roots. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm being racist with my own roots. I, like, I'm going to be like, I'm, but that, but I'm yeah. going to get really, but, to, yeah. but his, but his, his, his language and communication changed yeah. and went from very much like, hey, guys what are you doing to like yo i'm fixing the you know, like he became it became very he became very street when i knew in fact he was not you know yeah and so it was just an interesting identity thing that that he went through um and so what what from your point of view did you do you experience that is that am i am i right in saying that 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 cocaine it's just something that we can't really understand i think more people can understand it than is assumed but it is relatively unique. I think for because of the word you used, roots. Yeah. And 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 there's the Alex Haley book, obviously. But I I experienced an exchange, shall we call it a conversation, pretty one sided. I have this Nigerian name. I just I like my name. I has it has a nice ring to it. It rolls off the tongue. Never had many issues with people challenging it, except they assume I have a nickname. Or like, oh, what do people call you for short? Right. Baratunde. Day. Mm-hmm. No, but like for sure, like your friends, like your good friends. What do they call you? Baratunde. Right, you just gotta repeat that. And why do you always you can say encyclopedia, right? You can say Baratunde. Say it, encyclopedia. Encyclopedia. My name's easier than that. <laughs> my psych. <laughs> you my psych. You never exactly. But I remember having a conversation with a Nigerian father who's a friend of a who was the father of a friend, and he went on this rampage, this rant over the phone at child me. I was between eight and twelve years old, and he's like, Your name isn't really Nigerian. You're not really Nigerian. Why do you black people here? Oh, wow. What is, what is the problem with you African-Americans? You think you can have a, dashi- a Nigerian name and wear a dashiki and be African? You can't. You have no roots. You have no culture. You have no history. And he basically hit me with like this harsh, ugly truth. And I was a kid, so I was like, what is wrong with Why are you a bully that you're yelling at a child on the phone about how he's not really black because right. you're from Africa proper and I'm from D.C. and can't quite trace it? But this clinging for meaning and for history that you don't know how far back things are. The trail goes cold. Like there's, there's no NCIS slavery edition. Right? right. It kind of runs out of, of places to go. They didn't really, was, keep, they didn't really keep records. Yeah. If, if there was an NCIS slavery, it would be very low rated. Yeah. <laughs> CBS <laughs> wouldn't play over. You don't think they would? No. I don't think CBS would pick it up. No. I definitely don't think. That's part of their uh, overall demo. Yeah. Here's my pitch. Whoa, whoa, put what are you doing? Put me down. <laughs> like they just, literally just throw the guy out the window. But you're right. There wouldn't be any records of. So, so, you, so that, but that absence is felt. And I think you also have, you know, in the, the ages of high school and of college, those are super exploratory years for people. Sure. We're all trying on different identities. I want to try this food. I want to try this type of cinema. I want to try dating this type of person. You're away from home for the first time. 
it's his first chance to reinvent himself. Yeah. And like give it another shot. Maybe he felt cheated because he didn't have a lot of black people around where he grew up. And now he's found this new family, this new cohort of people that like probably gets him and is saying, you're this, you're that, you're that. You come from this. You come and you want to belong. You want to yeah, belong. Wanna, to we all want, everybody needs somebody. <laughs> I, everybody needs somebody. In retrospect, <laughs> you know, years later, what I realized is yeah. that I did the same exact thing he did. There you go. When I joined a fraternity my freshman year, mm -hmm. just like the whitest, you know, super crazy white guys. Or if you joined a D&D &D league or something, you know, what I mean? right. like we all find our outlets. And what you just said, though, when you said, I realized I did the same thing. So to return to your original question, can Caucasoids, I don't think you said Caucasoids. that, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> no, we say that. Can, can white folks, you know, understand the experience of someone like your friend Tony, your one black friend Tony. <laughs> they, have, they have at least a couple. <laughs> or me or anyone else. To a large extent, yes. Yeah. Because we all still are contending with this whole identity thing. Like, who are we? And who do you think I am? Right. And there's a gap. Who do, you, who do you think you are? Who do you think? Who do you think you are? <laughs> Mr. Baratunde. Yes. Who I, do why you I'm think? Mr. Big Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> what's your, what's, you what, what do your like friends call you? Mr. Big Stuff. That's what people <laughs> that's call what, you. That's what people call me for yeah, sure. Mr. Mr. Big, Big Stuff. Stuff. You can either call me Baratunde or Mr. Or Mr. Big, Big Stuff. Stuff. <laughs> you choose. That's the choice I'm going to give the so world now. What, what do you, how do you, how do you identify like when you, you know, when you kind of have that id thing, what is it, what is it that you identify with the most? <sighs> I am, uh, and and I include like careers yeah, too. No, like I, the the you know I've I've tried to do this many occasions. I've tried to come up with what are you? Yeah. And, and for a while, I uh, you know the latest iteration says I'm a technology loving comedian, a politically active technology loving comedian from the future. <laughs> right, that's <laughs> as all encompassing word wise as mm -hmm. I could get. I am, I'm a nerd. I'm definitely a geek. Yeah. I love the gadgetry. I love software even more. I love the future and thinking about it and really engaging and figuring out, okay, what does all this mean? Yeah. Right? What are the implications? How is this going to change our relationship? Do you know Benari Poulton? No. He's a comedian. He also happens to be in the army and he's in Afghanistan right now. And I ran into him at a Whiskey Friday uh, party at the Onion in New York, at our New York offices. Whiskey Friday is where you just drink whiskey on Friday. It's not okay. a... It's a very simple holiday. <laughs> happens every week. The, the action's in the title. Yeah. All the requirements are right there. <laughs> yeah. Friday, whiskey, Everything, everything you need to know. I don't get it. But uh, uh, Matt, they drink whiskey on it, <laughs> and it's a Friday on the calendar week. But, so I'm, I'm mm. spinning away from your question. I, I love telling stories. I love comedy. I'm engaged in politics, and digital is a part of my blood. That's me. Yeah. But an example of where this came up is I was talking to Benari about soldiers and about servicemen and women and about technology and social media. And we were talking about drones, right? We we're talking about drone warfare and these huge bases in the southwest of the U.S. where pilots, in sort of quotation marks, clock in to war. They go in, they report, they sit down at a console that looks a lot like uh, a video game console. Yeah. And they fly over, they take pictures, they drop bombs, they shoot missiles, they blow up insurgents, maybe families by accident. And then they clock out and they go home yeah. that day. They walk out of that building and they're back in America and they play ball with their kids and they cook dinner and they watch sports and that jumping back and forth to me, like that's an interesting question about, okay, we have a digital society, but that's, there's something different happening there. And then on the same token, he's over in Afghanistan saying, well, it's happening there too. When you're deployed now, you've got like your mess hall is McDonald's. 
Right. Right. And some bases have beer. And all these guys and ladies are on social media. They're on Facebook. They're on Twitter. So they're out dropping bombs or getting blown up and then coming back and logging into Twitter and seeing people live tweet the Oscars. Right. And what does that do to your brain on either side, whether you're at home and you're logging into war or whether you're at war and you're logging into home? Both of those are kind of unprecedented in society and in warfare. I love thinking about stuff like that. Does it too. desensitize you to? I mean, I mean, I, I think a lot of people who have seen action in the Middle East yeah. or in, in any, you know, in, in any any combat scenario, I'm sure you know they there's a lot of stuff they have to deal with. Mm-hmm. So is that you know is is that good for them to be able to connect to home, or or does it? I don't know. I don't I, know it's what different. happens. I mean, like all of these I would want to. I is, would need to Google connect with good home for us. <laughs> often is Facebook good for us? I mean, adding values to these tools is a risky business because it's good, but it's also horrible. Well, and, and so for these, you know, if you or you were you were distant from the consequences of your actions overseas for most of war, right? You did, but you didn't understand how people back home received it until you got home. But there's such right? a depersonalization that happens because. You know, we see this all the time with people interacting with each other online yeah, yeah. where they're sort of anonymous and, they, you know, and they're they're attacking each other in, in a similar way, but mm-hmm. without being life threatening. Right. Right. <laughs> but but where it's just like, ah, it's these, easier. It's easier because you're remove. interfacing with a machine. There's a, there's 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 a level of. And so I don't know. How do we how do we in digital culture and certainly with a with a generation of young kids who are growing up yeah. not knowing any other way? How do we. How do we teach them to be human and how do we teach them to connect with human beings yeah. on an interpersonal level in real life? We free up our time by making the machines fight each other. It's called <laughs> Skynet. It's yep. coming. I saw yep. the documentary. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Terminator was a great documentary. Yeah, yeah. Three parts. Uh, yep. Yeah. I think they just had another release. Of, uh, uh, it wasn't three parts. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you don't count all it of them. It was two parts. <laughs> <laughs> For the record, I loved the Sarah Connor Chronicles, the, uh, the TV know, extension. I, I found that fascinating. I didn't watch the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Was it, so you liked it? I, I liked it a lot. Okay. Like a lot. Because what they did is they put John Connor as a teenage boy. Yep. And so you got teenage boy stuff going on. Like, here's a kid. You know how you were as a teenager. You too, probably. Now add the burden. I jerked off everywhere. <laughs> exactly. Now add add a Jesus complex. Okay. Uh. Right? <laughs> you still want to jerk off, but you also know you're supposed to save humanity. Oh. Uh, much fatter me wants to jerk <laughs> off. Well, I went to Catholic school, so I got the guilt of not saving humanity. Yeah. By yeah. atoning for whatever my jerk off sins. <laughs> Listen, I'm a big Summer Glau fan, so anything she's in, well, then, I, I should have watched it. That's reason enough to watch it. I can her gif, that fucking you know that Summer Glau gif, right? That no. of her. There's a gif of her at a convention taking, uh, uh, taking pictures. You know, how you pay money at a convention and you'll stand next to like Stan Lee behind like a cloudy backdrop and yeah. take pictures. There's a Summer Glau gif of her taking pictures with uh, with these all these people, and she has the same face every fucking picture, just t- tiny variations. <laughs> and then one picture comes up, and she has a totally different face, facial expression, yeah. and it goes, uh, it goes combo breaker. Please do, please do, make our lives better. <laughs> are you are you touring a lot right now? 
I am for and the I, book for the book and and for America. Yep, mm-hmm. uh, and for Earth. <laughs> I'm very pro Earth. I, I feel nothing like, else can be said of me. I feel like a lot of people are getting on that bandwagon. I love this planet. Yeah, it's my home, mm-hmm. and I will defend it. Yeah, against all Whoa. enemies, foreign. I mean, and I'll defend it to a degree, but <laughs> if I'm like, I still, you know, I still need to play Skyrim. Yeah, and I still no, you got to do what you got to do. I, I've been so February has been a big road month for me. We've been throwing very non-traditional book parties. Mm-hmm. So I've had comedians as a part of the show and try to turn them into shows. So yep. hosts and opening acts and poets and multimedia stuff, digital things. I mean, I went in part of the book, I interviewed people and I videotaped those interviews and got really great quotes. So when you come to the live book event, there's a, what do you call it? Slideshow. Yeah. With p- pictures from my childhood, from Columbia Heights, from the crackhead mayor years. There's quotes from people like W. Kamau Bell. Oh, he's, uh, I, lo- I love Kamau. Kamau is amazing. Yeah. And so he's one of the seven people I interviewed for this book. I only interviewed Christian Lander from mm-hmm. Stuff White People Like. He was my control group uh, for the black panel. <laughs> and he did a great job. I'm a scientist. Uh, I love his science. <laughs> so the tour has been a bunch of that. And then talks, you know, university talks. And even outside of the book, I have a really travel-heavy schedule. I travel. I did 150,000 miles last year through just through Star Alliance, United, that yep. whole family, and then a few other Flights that people would not book me on in network. You, you must be a platinum status. I uh, it's called one K. Whoa! Yeah, it's like a fucking gold card. I don't get to <laughs> I don't get to fly the same airline every time. So I've, I've started to. I didn't used to do that. Actually, one of my coworkers at the Onion, Dave Cornfeld, he was like, "Dude, you are doing it wrong," because he would see me flying all about different airline each week, and you don't you don't win. There. No. I like to win. I'm losing. And yeah, I was losing a lot, and I was losing opportunity. And so he said, here's what you got to do. Pick an airline. And he looked at where I was flying mostly, and he told me, you should go with United. They're merging with Continental. makes it even bigger. You can consolidate your miles. You get more value. He has a whole system. Yeah. He is a nerd for air travel. Oh, shit. Like yeah. seat guru. Yeah, he is seat guru. <laughs> like he's the <laughs> physical human embodiment of seat guru. You could just probably list a plane model to him, and he would tell you where not to sit. Oh, that's he's great. that good. So he got me into the system, and and then so whenever I fly, I just I try to make people if someone else is booking it, put it on Star Alliance, and I've got crazy miles now. I get upgraded a lot, and when you fly all the time, even the upgrade, like I used to be like, this is so luxurious. Now it's just like, okay, if you're doing this once a week, it's your commute. Yeah, right. It's the car you drive to work in now. Is yeah. like this plane. And so you actually can't be in the middle every time in the back with the baby drooling on you. Or you'll just hate the world. Yeah, I had the same exact. And you'll be a bad I had the person. the same experience. You'll be a really crappy person. You'll be a bad. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're going to show up everywhere angry. Yeah. And you're not going to do anyone any good. Not at all. I love the idea of you going through towns and probably doing some of those morning TV shows uh, yeah. with like the whitest. You know, maybe like a token Asian person is the weather or whatever. And hey, then, everybody, we got how to be black. <laughs> Tell me, it's Lynn Sane how, out there. How would I? How would, <laughs> 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 uh, uh, Tunde, am I saying that right? How would uh, how would I be black if I wanted? To, <laughs> do they even know how to approach the topic, or can you tell that they're extra sensitive? Like, hey, there, know. there are. I've I've done a couple of. Those. I've been all. I've had some. I mean, the most amazing media moment by far in my life, Terry Gross. Okay. Oh, wow. Did Fresh Air on the day the book came out. And she is, she's like a therapist in the body of an interviewer. And it's a very tiny body. Right. But she went so much. She's like, we we talked about the book. But then she's like, tell me about you. Yeah. Tell me about your childhood. Tell me about your father. She just kept going and going. And all these things were revealed. She's, you see, she's like a master at her craft. Yeah. And that was like, 
really high point of not that other people aren't great, but like scary growth. Yeah. But I've also done a lot of radio and I think because of the comedy angle, there's always a twist. Like doing stand up, you work with different audiences. Yeah. And so you learn how to read that crowd versus like an MSNBC appearance. And so with Terry Gross, I may play a little this way with drive time radio, maybe play a little that way. And so I haven't had any like blow ups. There have been little, some people are much more comfortable with it. Some are much more like yokily dokily, (laughs) 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 which is just a great thing to add to how to be black tour. Just like yokily dokily moment. Yeah. Yeah. The Ned Flandersisms. (laughs) Um, Mistake guy. I, uh, uh, what do you see technology death, taking? Nothing but death. Nothing but death. Death and darkness. Death by machines. Yes. Well, even just, you know, I, I, I love I, the fact I that... cutting you off. No, 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 no. Yeah. That's fine. Please. We do it to people all the time. Um, I love, you know, it's, you, you know, we're going through a very similar experience with this, this YouTube, you know, this, this YouTube initiative. Yeah. And trying to create, you know, premium web programming, which, you know, up until the last couple of years... The concept of that was sort of a joke, mm-hmm. much in the same way that cable was in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. You're like, man, who's going to fucking back. who's gonna fucking pay? What are you talking about? Yeah, back to being a joke, by the way. <laughs> what, cable to- <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. Yeah, it pretty much is. The best programming on television is Uh-oh. on cable. He's about to school you. You just got schooled. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> the best programming on television on cable. I would like to argue with that. What do you think the best programming on television is? It also has the Antiques worst. Antiques Roadshow. It also has the worst programming PBS. on television, but but it also has God. the best programming on yeah. television, cable. There, there's a, there are a lot of good shows out now. And, Too and many. you know, it's because, you know, cable networks don't have the kind of super infrastructure to support. And so they don't have to play. They don't have to try to go lowest common denominator. And so they let creators be creators. I feel like that's sort of the freedom we have with the web is like, yeah. hey, not yeah. as much money as television, but you your vision will be intact. And that is uh, that's that's that's. An amazing gift. Like, that's worth so much money. Right? Yeah. Your artistic freedom mm-hmm. is worth dollars. Certainly worth some of your soul and sweat to be able to kind of build as you envision it versus, you know, getting a whole ton of money yeah. to do something that you don't actually want to do. Yeah. Or that you started off wanting to do, but then it got noted to death or something. You know, I haven't fully been in that process, but I've seen I really the faces hope, of those who have. I hope it works. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm... Are you directly involved with the programming, you guys? I'm not directly involved in the programming. I was uh, heavily involved in our pitch, sure. right, and helping us get it. Uh, I'm the closer. Right. They send me in to get the bucks. <laughs> <laughs> ABC, baby. Not convinced yet? Send in Maratunde. So, uh, so it was it was a fun thing to think about. And you know, the Onion has provided premium web video content already. Like we spent way more money than most people. On web video, the production values are kind of off the charts relative to your average YouTube video. Yeah, Onion News Network is flawless. There you go. See, it's I, fucking I flawless. I can't say that, but you can say I that. can say that it is fucking... I mean, like, we used to show... Um, when I worked on Attack of the Show, we regularly yeah, would, you would show... you did. You um, still do. You still do. Yeah, and yeah. just every time, you're like, God damn it. That is exactly how this is supposed to be done. Yeah. But I think the fun challenge... So the challenge won't be a technical one for the Onion in this space. It'll be the community part. Right. Because YouTube is not just a dumping ground for video clips. Like people want to be involved and participate and you want to have them watch multiple videos. You want to have some kind of conversation with people without giving over your voice sure. to the masses, the unwashed masses. <laughs> Those filthy pigs. That's disgusting. Gross. Masses, please take a shower. <laughs> Wash yourself. Please. Spritz under the arms. Something. Febreze to, your balls. I have to go show up at the fucking studio right now. 
What do you have to do? They're, we're shooting the Friday show today. Oh, okay. Well, go do that. Go go do that. And if you if you make it back in time. Damn it. It was nice having you here. Here, we'll just really quickly enjoy your burrito, Matt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the summer cloud thing Stay almost Stay away from the Red Bull. They're shooting the Friday show on Attack of the Show, so Matt has to go because he's, Bye, he's a producer in a gadget, gadget segment. Thanks for contribution. Goodbye, Matt Myra. I'll try not to be here. Oh. Goodbye, Matt Myra. Did he leave because you were black? Now that we're talking about it, what I happened? Think, I think the, it got too black. It was weird. It got a little too dark. <laughs> <laughs> As part of the, uh, I made a trailer. For the book, and I tried to make it very cinematic. I found this dramatic. Actually, my campaign manager for the book, who's in the room with us but not mic'd, he found the music. I set the tone. I was like, I wanted something epic, like heavy bass beat, like dum 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 dum, like some very Lord of the Rings esque sure. or Battlestar Galactica opening yep. sequence esque for a book called How to Be Black. <laughs> and so it starts off it's like, My name is Baratunde Thurston. And I've been black for over 30 years. Uh, but then the closing screen is like January 31st. It gets blacker. <laughs> do you, is there a movie in this book, do you think? I don't know if there's a movie. There, there are possible shows for sure. And uh, I don't know. There might be a documentary film in it, uh, a feature-length film. I haven't been able to wrap my head around what that might be. But some kind of series is possible, whether it's whether it's a, uh, a docu-soap. A docu-soap. Uh, that's a possibility. Scripted comedy. How to be black a on a fire road. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can apply that to anything, really. Once your brand is strong Just enough. add fire. How to be black antiques roadshow. Yes. We'll mm -hmm. black it up. Mm -hmm. Actually, Elon James White, who's in this book, uh, has a radio show called Blacking It Up, where they talk about <laughs> politics and race and four days a week on the web. Very good thing. People should check out. So, yeah, I don't know what this will become or what I will become. Yeah. But I'm really happy with where I am right now. Like, I am very fortunate and, That's a good uh, place to be, and yeah. it's it's a hard place to maintain because. No oh, thanks, Chris. Thanks. It, <laughs> no, I, was, I just started to enjoy it. That's great, knowing that. It's I'm, not, I'm just saying it's not going to last forever. No, that's good. It's just good in case everything just... it's the nature of things to die. Uh, no, I mean it's it's a hard thing to maintain. Yeah. Just appreciating where you're at. Yeah. Because it, you know it's just maybe you're not like this, but you know a lot of people, myself included, are constantly looking back or looking forward. Yeah. And you never just look down at where you are and go, okay, this is a very comfortable place to be. Well, and it's hard to, I mean, I, the first week the book came out, or maybe, yeah, it was the first week because I had a gig at University of Maryland. Mm -hmm. And this is the week I've, I started my book tour via Red Eye from California straight to Philly to do this Terry Gross interview. And I was nonstop all week. And I've learned how my body works. I can go 10 days flat out without sleeping much, being on all the time before I want to murder everybody around sure. me. And so this, I had reached my 10th day. I was at University of Maryland. I did a show, and my body is starting to, like, shake. Like, I don't want people in my life anymore. These kids, they're so sweet. They're driving me to the airport, to the uh, train station. I'm like, oh, you must be on top of the world now. Your book's doing really well. And, blah. and I was like, if you just drove a little faster, I could get to an earlier train and get to sleep at 2 a.m. instead of 4 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> right? like, and there was no enjoyment in week one. Yeah. None. I had no time to breathe. And so things have become a little bit more paced. So not only is there what you described, which is the kind of the anticipation of what's next or the kind of second guessing of what came before, but even in the moment, there's the juggling of the, the duties. Like, I got to pay people. I got to pay my rent. Oh, I forgot to pay my rent. Oh, my God. You know, it's just like yeah. I'm running around and like these little things trip you up and remind you. Like, you still got to live. Yeah. And so what I have, my biggest challenge, and I'm trying to be better about this, is to stop every once in a while. 
right? To force brakes into this fire road trucking life. <laughs> to, to force, you know, truck stops. Yeah. To just, I'm just going to burn this metaphor into the ground. Please do. But to take a break, to sleep, to walk. on. I'm next to the ocean. I got. If I don't see the ocean when I'm out here, I have failed myself. Yeah. Just to like walk for a couple of hours and just chill because the emails are going to be there and the tweets are going to be there and the maintaining of sanity and like perspective is really hard. Can you disconnect from I, digital? Uh, sure. I can stop anytime I want to. I don't know. It I can sounds stop like whenever. maybe I'm, you I'm in charge. Okay. I'm okay. in charge. Okay, buddy. I'm and sorry. If I you're don't want to do it, I can stop. I just, I like it, so I don't stop. Yeah. But I'm, I'm totally in control. It's totally your choice. It's, this is, this it's is. It's empowering. <laughs> no, I, um, I can with some difficulty. Yeah. Writing the book required me to unplug significantly. I underestimated what it meant to write a book. I was like, I blog. This is like a big blog. It is not like a big blog. <laughs> this is like 10,000 tweets. It is not at all like 10,000 tweets. No. It's a book. Yep. And it's a story. And I had to like give it space. Yeah. That is, that's hard. You want to go back to like the implications of all this, this whole digital world. Like, what does it all mean? And where are we going? We've created these like addictive cues for ourselves, for information and feedback for other people, for access to us. I had, you, I'm sure you've had this because you're on all kinds of screens. You've had shows and you've got the Ministry of Laughs thing. you got all this stuff going on. And people feel like they know you. Sure. And they feel like they have a right to you. <laughs> right? That's like you owe them something. And I had this strange experience where this guy tweeted me and he said, Hey, Baratunde, I sent you a complimentary tweet. I didn't hear anything back from you. So I'm less likely to finish your book now. What a snob. Right, right. I was like, really? <laughs> and so and I, I was like, maybe, maybe he's being funny and I can't I can't read the tone. Twitter yeah. has no tone. Yeah. There's no, there's no intonation. So I'm like, let me give him a chance. Are you serious? Oh. And then he says, not about the snob part. I was like, so you're seriously not gonna finish the book you already started because I didn't tweet you back. Did it ever occur to you I didn't see your tweets? <laughs> that uh, that maybe they're, I'm doing other things. But, and he's like, well, but you talk about social media a lot, you know, and, and how it's changing publishing. And I expected you to thank me. And I have a whole bunch of other books in the queue. And so yeah. yours is gonna, I'm like, so all those other authors tweeted you? Like, and from his point of view, yeah. he, can't, he can't possibly understand. Like, I, cause you could, and I think the reason that hit you on a certain level is yeah. because you want to be able to communicate with I all do. those people. And these tools make it so easy. They're just you not feel like you can. There's not enough hours in the day to, really do, to cover all of it. And you do your best. And for the most part, you know, people are very understanding. Yeah. Every once in a while, someone will be like, ah, oh, I thought you were cool as you do this. And you're like, but are you trying? Please. But if, but, it, and then I think the, here's the twist for me. If I did what he felt entitled to, right, respond to everybody all the time, regardless, I would never have a book for him to not finish reading. Sure. Because I wouldn't have that a would space take up all to your write time. it. That would take up all your so time. So, you know, the, the, it's beautiful to be in contact. It's beautiful to learn and to be connected and to get ideas and be in this sort of shared writer's room with the world and to know what's happening around it. But the, the, the flip side is really interesting, too, whether you're a soldier at home or abroad, whether you're a writer yeah. here, like there's a tension, there's a new balance that we're going to have to strike with one another. And we're not there yet. This is the weird transitionary period. 
which I don't know if we'll ever leave. Well, actually. yeah, because we, uh, you know, it keeps the, changing. Social media makes the internet feel like a fucking commons area or like a living room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where it's a big like, hey, room. you know, uh, and and then people kind of come at you sometimes, like, uh, why'd you fucking drink the milk? And you're like, I, did, I wasn't. Yeah, you know, because I was thirsty. Sorry, <laughs> but I, you know, I'm curious about about digital culture. About if you think, I mean, you guys are already doing this, so maybe this isn't even a consideration. Go but ahead. do do people want to watch quality, quote unquote, quality produced programming on the web? Mm. When you look at the success, like so much, so much web video success, yeah, the short, form, a lot pop. of it tends to be like how awful things are sometimes yeah. or how lo-fi they are yeah. and can chocolate we rain friday <laughs> i mean can't can we create chocolate rain on friday exactly whiskey friday <laughs> thank you for the plug can we you know are people willing to accept high quality or better produced programming on the web because what i feel like the reason i think lo-fi is so attractive to people is mm -hmm. because they relate to it, yeah. and it doesn't feel corporate to them. It feels authentic. It, feel, it feels very authentic, yeah. and so when you see well-produced web programming, you're like, you're trying to sell me something. What are you fucking trying to sell mm. me? And you automatically don't trust it. So is it possible, you know, is this just part of the, the mashing up of the tectonic plates yeah. of media, but eventually people will be used to it because that, that's where we're going, right? Yeah. I mean, within two years, televisions, devices will seamlessly get us onto the web and television at the same time. No, and, and, the, and that timeline, you know, we're really, we're all terrible at forecasting yeah. specific timelines. And let me just say, I know that we can do that now, but I mean, it, a system has not no, been implemented. It's that, not easy. It that, takes, it's not seamless you yet. Need, you need special cables, you need a Roku box, you need just special <laughs> Xbox with a kit, you need HDMI splitters and... It's not obvious, and right. for the vast majority of people, it is not happening right. yet. We're just getting the internet-connected TVs deployed to enough numbers, and people refresh their TVs at a certain relatively predictable rate. So 5 to 15 years, we'll start to see the real merger of all these screens and the content that's on them. So I think the answer is yes to your question, will people watch high-quality, long-form, well-produced content on the web, but the caveat is the web will be less of a separate space. Right. And it'll take that merger of these devices and the content and the networks that glue them together to get us to that point. My, I watch most television, and, and television's in quotes, mm -hmm. on my iPad. Sure. Because I'm on the road all the time. I'm and I'm on same. planes that are disconnected. So I can't even stream stuff most of the time. Or I watch it in apps. And then my Facebook feed is kind of like a TV channel because people are constantly posting YouTube clips. I'm yeah. checking out what did Santorum say at the debate last night and what did Obama say at the speech at the UAW the other day. So, but I'm not average, right? I'm right. a freak of nature <laughs> for now. But people like you and me, we, we are the... We are the future. I, I have so and, many, Man, yeah. I, I want to talk to you for like... A, we have a little bit of time left. Okay. But I, there's so many things we that can, I want to can, talk to you we can about. We always do a part two. I guess, Let's but they're... But give they're, them less. Make them want more, Chris. But we still have some time. <laughs> We're on a very antiquated CD recording system here. Okay. That's just part of the trade of the studio that we use. <laughs> That's and amazing. so this CD has 79 minutes and then it stops. Okay. So we got to stop when it stops. Yeah. So we have to stop when it's... I okay. know it seems funny of like that the Nerdist podcast is... Is 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 imprisoned by <laughs> by archaic technology. Is it CD ROM? Because that would make me happy. No. That would be an ode to nerdism. <laughs> it's a CDRW. It's CD, okay. CD minus R. Woo! I know. Everything's okay. I, do you remember when that was a hassle? 
Plus like or minus. Plus yeah. minus. Plus Should minus. I, well, I don't know which one. Well, one's a little more flexible than the other. Like, I remember going, what was the name of the micro center? It was a big retailer. And there was another one. I can't. I remember trying to buy something from this computer superstore. Sure. And I didn't have a driver's license because I didn't drive. Yeah. But I had a passport. And they're like, oh, you need a government ID. So you need a driver's license to be able to, to use your credit card to buy this thing. And I showed them my passport. I'm like, sorry, we don't accept passports. <laughs> like it's literally I'm more like, of a document than the fucking what? driver's license. You accept the DMV of Massachusetts, <laughs> but the not government? the federal government. The thing that basically sends Marines in to rescue me <laughs> if I'm in a developing country where shit's going down. You don't accept that, but the Marine Corps will go hoo-ah for me. You only will bow down to the DMV of Massachusetts. Now, naturally, that sales associate had the power to change the policy, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's not the point, man. Point is, I didn't buy the RAM that I needed that day. <laughs> here's here's so, yeah, here's here's sort of a weird left turn. All right, why is maybe this isn't true, but is politics more religious now than it has been Ooh. in a really? Lo- I mean, like, I'm you know I'm sure early actually not, maybe not even with our founding fathers who I feel like were 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 set. I mean, like they literally tried to separate. Yeah, you know, but. Do do you feel like it's more religious now than it ever was? Feels like it's com- it comes up so much. What are your feelings? But how come you didn't mention Jesus in that speech? How come you you know? Yeah. And is that dangerous? Religion's definitely dangerous. Uh, like all tools, sure, it can be wielded uh, painfully and uh, violently and with horrible consequences. I would say our politics has certainly become more polarized. Yeah, especially in the U.S. And because we've got our two party system and we've got in some ways, maybe ourselves to blame in terms of the media culture that we have helped reinforce, which has people retreating to their corners of the ring Mm -hmm. and with our own digital tools that allow us to just mirror ourselves in the media we consume. Like, yeah, I don't watch Fox and I'm not gonna proudly not gonna. And somebody is saying the exact same thing about MSNBC looking at me across the ring. You're liars. You hate America. You're blah, blah, blah. And you're comforted by people telling you you're right, mm-hmm. whether you are correct or not, whether the facts are on your side or not. You mean we're in a post-fact world. Right. Uh, and, 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 and certainly religion is post-fact by premise to some degree. It's faith-based. So right. you can't anchor it in fact. You got to go to something else. So in that sense, the stakes feel higher, the blood-curdlingness, the, the media environment, which encourages and sensationalizes conflict rather than resolution because... Where are the ratings in that? Yeah, who wants to see who wants to see people getting along? Yeah, that that doesn't sell. Well, we gotta nope. sell cars. You know what sells cars? Conflict. <laughs> so I, I think that I think those are big parts of it. Whether it's more, and then the the word religious is just an interesting choice on your part because we have the stakes are so high in religion. Yeah, you know, I remember. I'm not a religious dude, really. I was baptized Catholic. Me too. And then I started going to an Episcopal church because it was closer. Mm-hmm. Right. That was that was my big religious epiphany. This church is across the street. That other <laughs> one's four whole blocks away. And I like the incense here better. Yeah. So I did that for a while. <laughs> it's just nice. I don't know if I'm it's all Nag, about the perks. It's, I don't know if it's Nag Champa or what they're using, <laughs> but it's just a nicer incense. It was nicer. They both have the incense thing going. Fuck so Frank doors, incense. Brown doors. So. I, I did that, and I sort of believe in higher powers. I think Jesus was a cool dude. 
I'm a, I say I'm a fan, not a believer. Like, mm-hmm. that's my take on the whole Jesus thing. So I like a lot of your messages, dude. Bravo. Your followers have jacked it up a bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but this notion that everything is at stake, that it's your soul at stake. Like, I had a plane, I had a flight many years ago before I knew how to fly well, mm-hmm. but I got upgraded. I was super excited. I don't know why they did it. It was just a gift. And I sat next to this guy who was hyper-religious. And he's talking about my soul and this and that. And I was like, yeah, but why do you, why can't you just leave me alone? Right? Why can't you just be you? I'll be me. I'm not hurting you. I don't think you're hurting me. Yeah. And he says, well, uh, we're on this plane right now. And if you thought this plane was going to, if you knew this plane was going to crash before everybody else wouldn't you want to tell them so they could communicate with their families, get their last wishes and, you know, become at peace with themselves or with their maker or whatever. And I was like, sure. He's like, that's what this is for me. You're going to go to hell and I don't want you to, I want to save your soul. And I was like, well, that's a convenient construct, you know, like, but, but to me, the lesson was the state. That's how deep it is. Sure. That's how urgent it felt for him. Now, not everyone who's religious feels as passionately as this dude. Sure. But you see it at the fringes, and you see it in some elements of our politics, where it's like, ah, you're gonna murder America, you're killing babies, it's that Solalinsky. Like you just people throw up flags and words, and it feels like so urgent and so life or death, and the temperature gets so high, and that is damaging. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, we premised our system on accommodation, and not on everything. There are rights <laughs> which sure. supersede debate, as you started off the show with but if we can't see the humanity and the people we disagree with and it becomes like this mortal moral threat to our being and souls are on the line how do you argue with that and then going back to what we were talking about earlier yeah there's they're consuming a lot of this stuff digitally which again provides that layer of separation of humanity yeah and then it's it's easier to vilify people too and go oh, that's, fuck that piece of fucking car. And that's the risk. I was where was I? I did some radio spot recently, and someone's like, "Yeah, my dad read something on the internet which said that Obama and Saul Alinsky want." It's just like, "Hold, <laughs> there's nothing here. You have just thrown in nouns and pronouns and verbs into a turbine of nonsense and read read." Read something on the internet. Sure. <laughs> okay. I <laughs> farted something out my butt. Like that's where on the internet? By whom? What's the post date? Exactly. Has it been vetted? Is it peer reviewed? Yeah. Has anyone else said it? Who has some kind of credibility or experience to back that up? And in this transition, it's easy. Like you want to see the worst in other people and often. So you cling to the evidence you find, right. which allows you to do that. And so if you want to see, you know, and it, I think it does cut both ways. I honestly think it cuts harshly more from the right in the period we're in right now. I don't think it's an even-handed split of douchebaggery. Sure. I think they own a little bit more of that in this particular part of history. But it's available to all to abuse and to kind of recede into our own defensive, offended positions. Like ah. we're, That's this interesting point because I have this idea that we are addicted to outrage. Mm. Addicted, we have an addiction to outrage okay. itself yeah. because it makes us feel superior Definitely. To, wa- to finger wag and be yeah. like, how dare you? <laughs> how fucking dare you say that? Yeah. You know, yeah. whether or not the thing that it, we are outraged over has any merit or 
you know, or if it's any something we really should be outraged over, we just love being outraged yeah. at things. Yeah. No, it does. There's a rush. I'm. You know what? And I'm gonna make something up here. Okay. I just want your audience and you to know sure. I, I'm not. I'm not a brain scientist, but I'm pretty sure. You may not be a brain scientist, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that there is a chemical reaction. Yeah. To that sense of righteous indignation. Yeah. That sense of I'm right, you're wrong, my group, your group. Ah, it triggers something. And now the internet has made it so everyone has a group. <laughs> yes, we all. So that we our, can we can all be at war. Yeah, exactly. Whereas <laughs> before we, you know, there was a, maybe a slightly healthier form of separation. Yeah. And we couldn't really, you know, be well, outraged. And as even much. you know the fact that we have so many niche channels and and no channels yeah. anymore. Like there is a hyper targeted thing. For you, Chris. Yet there is. And there's a separate one for me, and there's a separate one for the other people it's in this It's app-based culture, and it's very similar to, yeah. you know, Chris Anderson from Wired had written this article, this idea that the, that the traditional web is dying. Right. And that we are becoming an app-based culture. Mm. And when you think about it philosophically, our lives are relatively app-based. I mean, you look at someone's smartphone, and they have just surrounded themselves with a honeycomb of things that are specifically relevant to yeah, them and they yeah. don't really want to travel too far outside that. And that's kind of what you're saying. No, that's, it's uh, icky. It's uncomfortable. Ellie Pariser from Move On, he gave a TED talk about this. and he, I don't know what, and I think there's a word for it, homophily. Okay. Right? Liking, like, attracting like, right. and kind of receding into its own likeness. Mm -hmm. That's how I have use of the word like, paid for by Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you weren't using this like in the conversation filler sense. No, no, I wasn't. Um, but so that that phenomenon, he's written a book about the the dangers of it. Mm -hmm. Like if you only consume media that already adheres to your pre-existing worldview, you're getting everything you want and not the things you should. Right. Not the things you need. So it's important to step outside our little bubble sometimes yeah. and and experience. And when you have out, and this comes back to machines. Oh, good. We can we can put a bow. On okay. This whole thing. A fucking machine oh! bow. So when we abdicate the controls and the programming switches to machines mm -hmm. and to algorithms, not only do we get Skynet. Before we get Skynet in the physical world at war, we get a virtual version of it, which is this hyper-targeted, hyper-out. The ads speak to you. Your Facebook feed accommodates you. Your tweets are optimal. You should follow this person, but not this. Maybe I actually should follow the pastor mm -hmm. because he's saying something I need to hear, even though I think, I'm not religious. I don't want to. That doesn't mean I don't need to hear something from a religious person every now and then. Yeah. Just to remind me of why I'm not religious, if even that. So where is the space for serendipity, for need over want, for should over can in this world of, of optimized, hyper-targeted, algorithm-driven thing? Where's the humanity, right? And, and when you, you said this word earlier about, you know, human, we're miss, we need to add the humanity back, and that's something algorithms can't do. No, and it creates what that thing you're describing is almost like the sort of traditional... Um, that the archetype of the of the like the rock star hmm. who completely loses touch with the reality because no one's will no one will say anything negative to right. him right it's the, the it's the circle of yes man and he right? becomes this weird spoiled completely out of touch and and as a Ooh. culture that's what we're doing and the fact that we're all obsessed with fame at the same time yeah. like it's it's that's so what's what's happening that's a great leap we are and, spoiling ourselves yeah and we're creating bubbles around ourselves yeah. little bubbles of of self-affirmation. Yeah. Independent of fact. Right. Often. Because we don't want to hear no and we don't want to be challenged yeah. because it's it requires energy and it hurts to be challenged. And sometimes pain is good. <laughs> 
Sometimes it is good. Sometimes you need it. Well, in conclusion, uh, everybody should buy my book. How to yeah, be How to Be Black. <laughs> um, oh, it was so wonderful to have you on. This was fantastic. We got to have you back. When you you're... Have, this is inspiring, and this is what <laughs> shows should be. And oh, I'm not thanks, just, man. It was just, I love smart conversation. Well, you and, are, and you are uh, a master at that craft as well, so thanks let, for having let, me. Let us, let us affirm each other. Yeah, our, yeah, our, yeah. Let us, <laughs> We're in each other's bubbles. <laughs> no, you're cool. No, you're better. You're better than I am. Okay, I'm telling you to read your book. Nerditune Day. Yes. Nerditune. Signing off. (laughs) Enjoy your burrito, everyone. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode is brought to you by the effortlessly scrumptious bite of Skinny Pop Popcorn. Imagine this. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious kernels. A symphony of just three simple ingredients. Popcorn, sunflower oil, and a sprinkle of salt. No compromise, just pure snacking freedom. And hey, if you're up for a twist, dive into flavors like zesty white cheddar to sweet and salty kettle. Every bite's a delight, light and oh so tasty. Shop Skinny Pop now.